Chapter 2, Real Property and the Law. So since this is a class on real estate, we ought to define what real estate is. And before we can define what real estate is, we have to define what land is. And then finally, we'll also define what real property is. There's a slight difference between all three of these definitions. We're basically going to start out with the definition of land. We're going to add on to it. That's the definition of real estate. And we're going to add on to that definition and come up with real property. A little broader. But for practical purposes in the real estate business and for this course, whether we call this thing uh, that we're dealing with, these parcels that we're talking about, the course itself, anything relating to the course, we'll either say real estate or real property. So for our all intents and purposes, knowing the subtle differences between these three isn't really critically important, but we're going ahead and cover it anyway because it is uh, good information to know uh, in a couple of areas we'll see down the line. So let's talk about these three definitions, land, real estate, and real property, and the subtle differences between each of the definitions. Land is defined as the Earth's surface extending downward to the center of the Earth and upward to infinity. That would be the definition of land. Now land also includes things that are permanently attached to either the surface or subsurface. What would be permanently attached? Things like oil or gold or um, uh, trees on the surface. Natural growing items are considered land then. Uh, and then we have the earth extending the uh, area extending above the earth quote to infinity and uh, that would include air and that would include light and that would include the space above the land so we have air we have surface we have subsurface rights and we have uh, anything permanently attached to the surface or subsurface now we'll talk about the defini definition of real estate. We'll expand this just a little bit. Real estate, a little broader definition, is the land plus permanent improvements. That basically means people making things better, adding to the land. That would be considered real estate, land and permanent improvements. So we have the surface rights, we have the subsurface rights, and we have those, uh, you know, air, oil and gas uh, types of things, and gold uh, below the surface, part of our definition of land. We have air, as we talked about before, uh, extending upward to infinity. Of course, that's subsurface rights extending downward to the center of the earth. So we talked about before. So we have those air surface and subsurface rights. Now we're going to add to them. We're going to add permanent improvements. A house is a permanent improvement. It is not designed to be moved. And of course, uh, if we have a condominium, that's a permanent improvement. And where do we live? If we lived on the top floor of that condominium, we would actually be living in the air. We're not living on the surface. So uh, there is another uh, way we might understand what air rights are all about. Anything where there would be a parcel that we would own that is above the ground that would be considered uh, air, someone's air rights. And of course, anything naturally growing uh, would be considered 
uh, part of the real estate. So if we were to uh, plant trees, plant permanent shrubs, uh, put fences up, put utility sheds up, all of these become permanent improvements to the land which then become part of the definition of real estate. Real property is a little broader than real estate. Real property is the same things we talked about before, surface, subsurface, air, things permanently attached. We want to do that. Okay. All those permanent things that we put in or that or gold or other items below the surface. Okay, so that that's all included. With the definition of real estate, we add the rights to these parcels and that therefore becomes part of the definition of real property. So real property is not only the thing itself, the uh, substance itself, the surface, air, subsurface, and the things that are permanently attached, but they're also uh, real property also includes the rights to those things. So if you're an owner, you have real property rights in the real estate. We say real estate has economic and physical characteristics. Economic characteristics of real estate give us the where, where some of the value lies with real estate. It has these economic characteristics. Scarcity, good land that we can live on is scarce. They don't build it anymore. If we improve land, which we are allowed to do, we typically increase its value when we improve it. Not all the time, but typically when we improve property, it increases its value. Permanence of investment. When we improve property, it's for a long period of time. So that increase of, of value that we get, the increase in the investment that we put in our property when we enhance its value is permanent. It doesn't go away in a year or two. So if we build a house on property, that's a permanent investment that we've made to improve the land. And the last economic characteristic is called location or situs. And that's probably the one you should know of the economic characteristics. Uh, situs is a Latin word. It means site or location. What it's actually saying is that land will be affected by where it's located. Real estate will be affected by where it's located more than any one factor. If you took a property in, let's say, uh, you know, uh, Woodridge, Illinois, and moved it a couple miles to, let's say, Hinsdale, Hinsdale Illinois, by the mere fact that you changed its location, not that the parcel is any larger, not that the house is any different than it was in Woodridge, but by moving a property from Woodridge to Hinsdale, we would increase its value most probably. We would increase its value. That's the impact of situs. People are willing to pay more dollar votes in value to live in one area versus another. Why? Psychologically, they see there is a better um, psychological return for them to live in one community versus another for whatever those reasons are. That's the impact of this psychological force, if you will, called location or situs. People willing to pay more to live in one area versus another. Physical characteristics of real estate include immobility, 
we can't move land. If we look at the big definition of land, everything to the center of the earth, everything on the surface, everything upward to infinity, if we look at that big definition of land, we can't move that. It's indestructible. You know, hopefully we won't find out that, that this is untrue when we end up destroying the earth, but typically uh, land and the earth will continue to go on uh, through millennium and through the ages and will not be destroyed. We can dig a couple of uh, um, acres of, 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 of dirt from the land that we live in, but we're not destroying it even when we do that. And lastly, uniqueness, non-homogeneity, which is the most important of the three physical characteristics, simply tell us that no two parcels of real estate are the same. By the mere fact they're located in two different areas, even if they're right next to each other, they're still two different parcels, means that they're unique. No matter how much they look alike or how much from the outside that we think they're alike, each parcel is different than every other parcel. That's called non-homogeneity, uniqueness or non-homogeneity. The non is important, non meaning not homogeneous. So we've learned that the definition of real property is broader than the definition of, of just real estate and the definition of real property includes rights. It includes the rights of the owner. Rights of the owner include possession, control, enjoyment, disposition, exclusion. Essentially with your property as the rightful owner you can possess the property, you can control it, use it for your enjoyment, uh, dispose of the property as you wish and exclude or keep people off it. Essentially you can live on your property, you can sell it, you could lease it, you could will it, you can exclude people from the property, uh, you can enjoy the property to the extent uh, that you are not impeding on the rights of other people. You can control your property uh, so that others uh, beyond you who might buy the property after you might be subject to certain controls, certain restrictions, uh, even after you've conveyed the title to property. So you can control the property while you want it. You can even control the property in many instances even after you dispose of it. So these are very, very powerful rights that owners here in the United States under what's called our alloidal system uh, have in real property. Uh, and it was sometimes referred to as your real property rights in the real estate that you own. The law recognizes two types of property that we can own. We can own real property and we can own personal property. Real property, as we've talked about, are things on the Earth's surface or below the Earth's surface air rights and anything permanently attached considered real property. Another way of looking at real property are these are items that are immovable. Personal property on the hand are movable. Personal property are items like furniture, cars, sailboats, jewelry, money. So the definition of the two is basically personal property movable and real property immovable. 
So taking what we've just learned, real property would include in your ownership of real property. When you own real property, I convey to you a deed, and now you are the owner of real property. What that means is you have the rights to the surface, subsurface, and the air. You have the right to any permanent attachments on the property, any fruits of nature, natural growing things, and then anything we call fixtures. We're going to come back to that word fixtures. So one deed to you, as soon as you touch the deed, you own everything classified as real property uh, at, at, at that parcel. Uh, personal property, these things that are movable, they're separate. Uh, personal property includes furniture, throw rugs, uh, deeds, uh, non-permanent attachments, working crops, sometimes called implements, and a thing called trade fixtures. So, if I want to convey someone my personal property, I'm not going to use a deed. I'll probably use a thing called a bill of sale for those separate items. So in every real estate deal, there's going to be a deed at closing that conveys to the new owner those things classified as real property. And there'll be another document called a bill of sale at closing that transfers the new owner any personal property. That's part of the deal. Vegetation anything that's growing in the ground we would call real property anything called emblems cash crops are considered personal property so if i'm a farmer and i sell you my property i'm selling you everything with that deed except perhaps the corn i get to come back and harvest the corn then later unless we have a special agreement in which case that corn would have to be conveyed by a bill of sale but assuming there was no bill of sale those cash crops would not be considered real property former uh, farmer can come back and uh, you know and take his uh, cash crops with them they belong to him he did he didn't transfer those in the sale growing vegetation go with the sale they're part of the real property implements do not go with the sale unless there's a separate bill of sale agreement uh, these implements or cash crops continue to belong to the seller the old the farmer that was leaving farmer seller property can be changed you can change the nature of property. You can change it from real to personal or from personal to real. How do we do that? If we attach something, sometimes called annexation, if we attach something, it becomes part of the real property. So it was personal property, we attach it, it becomes real property. An attachment might be, think of a heating system. As it sits in your Lennox dealer showroom, it's an item of personal property to your the heating contractor. If he takes that heating system and attaches it in your home, it becomes part of the real property, obviously not intended to be moved. Personal property becomes real property. We can change the nature of real property and make it personal property by a by an action called severance. Uh, think of a tree. As a tree grows in the ground, it's classified as real property. When we sever it and cut it up into lumber, it becomes personal property. Oh, by the way, if we take that lumber and build a house, what does it become? Back to real property again, doesn't it? So we can change the nature of property by attachment or severance. Real property is conveyed by a deed and personal property is conveyed by a bill of sale. Personal property is sometimes called chattel or personality. 
Uh, chattel is a good word, you'll see that. Uh, chattel is an old English word. It comes from the word cattle, which was the first thing that people owned. We were nomadic. So the thing that we owned that was uh, valuable to us were these items of personal property, particularly cattle, if you will. So personal property is sometimes called cattle, <coughs> chattel. <coughs> and remember that term because we're going to come back to it when we, in just a second. So personal property, chattel. Fixtures versus trade fixtures. A fixture is something that was once real property and has been so attached it becomes part of the real property. A fixture was just like the heating system I talked about before. That was an item of personal property owned by the Lennox dealer in his showroom. He sold it to you and installed it in your house. Now it becomes part of the real property. It is a fixture. Trade fixtures, when you see the term trade fixture, I want you to think of commercial tenants. Trade fixtures, sometimes called chattel fixtures, you'll see. Oh, there's that word personal property, another word for personal property, chattel. Trade fixtures or chattel fixtures are what commercial tenants use in their business. What's the big difference between these two? Well, besides one being real property and one being personal property, the big difference is this. If I convey to you by deed my real property, you also own everything in it that's classified as real property, which would include all these things called fixtures. One deed conveys real property plus these fixtures, which are classified as real property. Trade fixtures, however, are different because they're owned by a tenant in his business. He can remove them before his business is up. So if you leased an empty space and you put your bowling alley in there and you've got all your bowling alleys as well as ball racks, as well as your bar, as well as a place to hold the bowling balls, you can take all of those out, return the, the leased premises back to its original vacant condition, and you can take them all with you and go start your bowling alley somewhere else. So those trade fixtures are owned and by uh, the commercial tenants and they can be removed by the commercial tenants before their lease is up. Personal property to the commercial tenant. By the way, commercial tenant, if you leave your trade fixtures in property after the lease expires, the landlord, the owner, if you will, will then take possession of those. So you must remove them before the expiration of your lease. Real property uh, definition, excuse me, the, the fixtures, uh, definition of fixtures, um, we know that they're real property and we, if we, the, the best thing that we can do with a fixture is have an, an, an agreement between the parties uh, that I will convey this to you so there's no arguing later. If there is a dispute after a transaction, whether something was an item, was a fixture and therefore should have stayed with the property, or an item of personal property to the owner and therefore the owner could take with him, if there is a dispute, a court will use a test. And these are the different tests that they use with the particular object. They'll say, what was the intention of the parties? How was that thing attached? Was there some kind of agreement that the parties had? And how adaptable was that item to the real property? They will use those tests then to determine where the object was a fixture, therefore should stay, or it was simply an item of personal property that the owner could take with them. Let's do an example. Method of attachment. Let's say you uh, uh, bought a property and you wa walk in, Mr. Buyer, after the closing, and you look in those bookcases that were right next to the, uh, the uh, 
uh, fireplace are now gone. And you go, hey, wait a minute, where are those beautiful bookcases at? So you go and you sue the seller and say you were supposed to have left those. Those were fixtures and were part of the real property. The seller says, no, I didn't have them attached by any bolting at all or any nails or any screws. They were just set up against the wall. The court would say because the method of attachment was not a permanent method of attachment, seller can keep those bookshelves. On the other hand, if uh, these bookshelves were bolted into the wall and now we got big holes there where the seller ripped them out, the court would say, ah, that's a fixture, should have stayed, Mr. Seller, you must bring it back. Adaptability to real property, an example of that might be your um, storm uh, screen storm uh, windows. Um, after closing, the buyer looks for his uh, storm doors and his uh, storm windows to attach as winter comes, finds out that the seller took all those storm doors and storm windows with him, sues the seller, saying that those were fixtures. And the seller says, oh, they were movable. I know something about real estate. They were movable. They were seen down on my basement, out in the garage. Well, the court would say, while they were movable, those screen doors and screen windows adapt themselves so closely to only that property that be, they become part of the property or a fixture. So by the test of adaptability, the courts would make Mr. Seller bring those screen doors, screen windows back. So some examples of how a court would use those tests in determining if an item was a fixture or in fact, if it wasn't a trade a fixture, it was an item of personal property that the seller could take with them. So fixtures transfer with the sale personal property uh, called trade fixtures belong to the tenant. Okay, one last thing as we talk about fixtures and trade fixtures. Uh, here's the big question as it relates to fixtures. So what are you going to do with stoves, refrigerators, microwaves, window, AC units, water softeners, garage door openers, outdoor play sets? Are those fixtures and should stay or are they personal property to the seller? and they can go with the seller at the end, at the end of the uh, closing, at the end of the deal. And, the, and, and, and uh, this is your first real real estate type of question. What are you going to do with all these? Well, the answer is going to be, who knows if they're fixtures and or personal property items, uh, how they're attached, their method of attachment, or their adaption, all those other tests that we had, uh, we, we talked about. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we put everything we can think of in the sales contract and we don't have to worry whether or not a court would determine they were a fixture 
and should stay or a personal property item of the seller and they go. We don't need that dispute. And then, and of course, the courts want that as well. You know, the first test the court would use is what? What kind of agreement did you have? Well, that's why in our sales contract we will have, and this is uh, paragraph three of the standard uh, board contract, multi-board contract that many of you in the residential field will be using. Um, we'll have paragraph three here that we'll go through and we'll just check everything out that we can possibly think of and we'll exclude items that aren't supposed to stay and even additional items that may not be in, uh, in our checkbox here. So what we've done then is we've eliminated 99% of the things that sellers and buyers could argue as they go through this test of a fixture or a personal property item. We have a number of sources of law. The main sources of source of law that we want to be at least aware of is this thing called common law. Most of our law that affects real estate transactions comes from this body of law called common law. Common law essentially is court decisions. Even though we think of laws passed by Congress, laws passed by our state and local municipalities, even though we think that that's a lot of law, that's only 1% of the law that affects real estate. Most law that affects real estate and real estate transactions is called common law. Common law essentially is the decisions and opinions of court. So anytime we have a real property dispute, typically what will happen is we'll go to court and the court will look at other uh, court cases that were similar to ours and they will see how the court ruled there and they'll try to rule in some sort of compatibility or with some sort of common thread with what other courts have ruled. That's called common law. And that's the largest area of law. And that's all I would know about common law. It's just the largest body of law that affects real estate transactions. Not, if you will, legislative law, which is the other three categories that you see there. Now you might turn to your quiz packet and do your chapter two questions, then grade them. Uh, for those of you that want more challenging questions and some more uh, ways of evaluating yourself and how well you understand the material in Chapter 2, you might do the textbook Chapter 2 questions found on page 21. And of course, the answers are in the back of your textbook starting on, a on page 575. You'll have Chapter 2 answers to those textbook questions. Good luck. We'll see you in Chapter 3.